Hey there, and thank you for joining me, Lucy Hutchings Hunt, for my podcast, Live the Change. My goal is to bring you powerful and authentic conversations from inspiring global business voices, helping to share these fascinating stories about the magic and rewards that heart-led leadership brings fuels my personal mission to support and motivate as many fellow business owners and entrepreneurs as possible. Are you ready to get honest, step out of your comfort zone and step into your best heart-led business self? Sure you are. And if you're not ready just yet, keep listening to my guests' inspiring stories about how they personally live the change and you soon will be. Hello and welcome back to the Live the Change podcast and today I am speaking with Laura Schuckberg from Marvelous Midlife. I have been following Marvelous Midlife for years and I first started following her on Twitter. Now I don't tweet very much at all but that's where I first met Laura and now I'm glued to her Instagram feeds which I absolutely love and she's recently started this amazing journey traveling around in a van. She's got another Instagram feed, one for Marvelous Midlife and one for Marvelous Van Life. So great fun. And I strongly urge you to follow her. She's also based in France, as am I. So we have lots in common at the moment. So Laura is currently, as I said, on a solo trip, specifically in France with her dog after leaving her marriage in October 2020. She believes that living a life aligned with our core values is the way to true happiness, and I agree. She is a life architect, helping people to live their greatest lives through the power of coaching. She started Marvellous Midlife to help support women in midlife and those going through the minefield of perimenopause. Amen. She is 51, although you would never believe it because she looks like she's about 31, but she has had a varied life traveling all over the world with her career as a model in her 20s. She retrained as a beauty and massage therapist whilst bringing up her son in her 30s. And more recently, she worked in the construction industry. Yes, very incongruous as a business development manager of an architect's practice. She is a proud mother to her 20 year old son, and she loves being outdoors in nature and exploring new places. It's great to have Laura Schuckberg on the show. Let's crack on. Are you there, Laura? I'm here. I'm here, Lucy. Oh, so exciting to have you. We've been trying to get this organised for quite a while, so I'm really pleased that we uh, finally found a time that we can both do and actually turn up to. So. <laughs> Seems like we've both been very busy and either one of us has had to cancel. But um, yeah, well, we- how we've been so busy during confinement you know, not actually being able to leave the house is sort of another question, but hey. <laughs> There's always something to do. I've been busier just lately in the last six months and I've been pretty much in my life with what I'm doing. So it's it's been quite interesting, but I'm sort of, I'm feeling ready to get off. <laughs> get off is a good way. Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe we should, maybe it's quite quick, it's quite soon in the conversation to be going into that, but let's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then straight in. Just um, so I can position you for my listeners, where are you speaking to me from today? Well, I'm speaking to you from the Dordogne in France today, which is okay. a lovely place. I knew you were in France. I've been trying to tempt you to come to live with me in the Haute Savoie on Lac Annecy, but are you planning to stay in the Dordogne? I'm, pl- I'm not planning to stay in the Dordogne, actually, because I have just, which is, again, something quite early on in the conversation, but I've just bought a motorhome that I'm going to travel around in and 
do my business from work from live in and explore France and maybe into Spain in the winter so you might get a visitor yet in late Annecy because it looks so beautiful there well, I have to say the apartment that I'm going to be living in has an, it's a gated complex and it's got really good parking. So maybe you could park up and hang out for a while. <laughs> You've actually found somewhere. Yeah, I've got it all booked up. I'm going to go and do a recce this weekend. It's all, I've signed on the lease for the next year. So I'll be moving on the 1st of September, which is quite exciting. Oh, it is exciting. That's so amazing. Anyway, enough about me. Back to you. You're a coach and you specialise in helping midlife women find their mojo, regain their mojo or, yeah, just find it for the first time if they think they might never have actually had it, which is amazing. But do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got to this place where you are doing van life and living the sort of midlife dream, as it were? I've always been somebody who is very kind of into my personal growth and exploring and things. And... Oh my God. I mean, where do I even start with this? I think I got into coaching about four years ago or so when I was working, I was married at the time and I was working with my husband in his architecture practice. And I realized that to get the best out of people, it wasn't about deadlines and, you know, making people do more work. It was about, are they happy? Are they fulfilled within their work? And through that and meeting a few coaches at networking meetings, I wanted to get some coaching for our team there was 11 people and so that was kind of where I found out about the power of coaching and then from there I did an ILM7 organizational coaching qualification which was really interesting and as soon as I went into this the board I went into this coach training room this one day and I remember feeling completely out of my depth because at school I was never somebody who was very academic but I've always loved to learn things that I'm interested in and I got into this room and there was all these sort of academics there there was doctors and GPs and people who worked on the NHS and I had really bad imposter syndrome for the sort of first Mm. couple of hours but then as soon as we started being taught about coaching and the power of coaching and the psychology behind it I just felt completely at home and it really opened me up but then and so from there that's where I got my coaching know-how I suppose and I still do plenty of training and stuff now but then the reason I coach women who are in midlife and perimenopause is because of my own experience of going into perimenopause four years ago I'm 52 now and when I was about 46 47 I started getting these hideous symptoms of anxiety and loss of confidence all the invisible symptoms as I call them now and at the time I had never even heard of perimenopause I didn't know what was happening to me. I felt like I was too young to be, I didn't even associate it with menopause, this, you know, the transition of, and I really struggled, you know, there was days when I couldn't get up and go into meetings. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to go out and socialize, completely lost all sense of myself really in it. I felt like I had early onset dementia actually at one point because I got very, very brain fogged and I was tired, constantly like fatigued and, just like a shadow of my former self, really. And then I did lots and lots of research and realised what it was that I was in perimenopause, which was like having a kind of weight lifted off my shoulders because then I knew what it was and because then I could do something about it because, like, knowledge is power. And so I did loads and loads and loads of research and eventually found a doctor and talked about HRT because at the time I was really nervous about taking HRT because of all the scaremongering in you know in the early 2000s Mm -hmm. and 
managed to get on some HRT and started managing my menopause in a way, you know, making sure I, I meditated, I did my exercise, I I saw a coach myself, all of the things. And now I'm, I have got my menopause, my perimenopause under control. But at the time, very interestingly, because I am a really great believer in this, that I think if you're stressed, perimenopause symptoms are much worse. And I was in a marriage that wasn't really happy. I wasn't fully content. I wasn't living in my values daily. And that showed up with my perimenopause symptoms. It made them worse. It's so interesting what you're saying, because, I mean, we, we've we never actually met in person, although I feel like I know you quite well because I follow your Instagram feed and kind of know what you're up to on a daily basis, really, which is kind of weird. But that's the world we live in now. Um, and I'm going through, I think in the last year, I've kind of entered into this perimenopausal phase of hormonal change. And I really identify with everything that you just said about this kind that kind of anxiety and brain fog I mean I personally have had you know problems with my hormones ever since I got my period so I've been diagnosed with something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder which is me too, me too. oh really okay that's yeah so as I understand it that the symptoms of premenstrual dysphoric disorder which are pretty horrible anyway and you get them every month so it's like extreme PMT they are massively exacerbated by the hormonal changes that you can get into in perimenopause. Actually, whenever, you know, they say it happens at um, postnatally as well, you know, so whenever there's a huge surge of hormones, it kind of really rocks the boat. And I've really struggled with that in the last year. It's very interesting that is, Lucy, because do you, because I think, you know, because I was never, I had, it was undiagnosed, my PMDD. I'm not sure it was even around really when I was going through it, you know, that, that kind of, the actual diagnosis for it, I'm sure I'd never even heard of it until the last couple of years again. But I think PMDD, if you've suffered from it as well, I think it's had a massive impact on my whole life, my yes. whole, my relationships, the, you know, my work, because sometimes you are just incapacitated with it, aren't you? Absolutely. It has defined my life as a woman, Laura. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my raison d'etre now is to create, you know, like everything, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be a victim about it because I could just sit there and go, oh my God, my life's been so rubbish because of this PMDD. But the reality is that actually it's on the flip side. I do know that it's given me this insight and this kind of compassion and empathy for people who've got my my condition that I would just would never be able to have you know I've got friends who really don't have this and they have not struggled with being half of themselves for two weeks of the month you know so for me I feel like for two weeks of the month I am or this is how I used to be before I got my hormones under control with HRT but you know I used to be like superwoman for two weeks and then I'd go into this slow decline which would make me doubt everything about myself my relationship my worth, my ability and my work. And it's basically been happening all the way through. So school was even affected. My academic self was affected at school. I hear you completely. It's just, I mean, my mum had it as well. And she said that she used to just have like, she'd have, she'd only have two good months, two good weeks a month. And if you you only have two good weeks a month for the whole of your life or the whole of your reproductive life, that's quite a lot of life that that you're sort of missing out on because you're feeling you know, because of your psychological symptoms that your hormones are, you know, that the impact they're having on them. 
it's massive. And I'm from a, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that my mother had this. I wouldn't be surprised if her mother had it. So it had some kind of, you know, nurture impact, not just nature, but nurture as well. Because I do think that when you are going through this you know, undiagnosed PMDD, there's this sense of like, who am I? You, you know, so for the child of the person who's got undiagnosed PMDD, you know, it's like, hang on, mommy's like this for two weeks of the month and then she's like that. So you you really have this sort of sense of two selves. And if you're being mothered by someone like that, you're looking at them thinking, I'm not quite sure who you are. <laughs> so yeah, That's it, so true. So I remember my mum coming back from work because my mum and dad got divorced when I was like 14 and then we lived with my mum and she was working really hard. She was a hairdresser. And I remember she would just come home sometimes and she would be like the life and soul for two, probably two weeks now, the time scales. And then sometimes she would come home and if we were sat down and hadn't been doing any like jobs, you know, if we were actually sat down when she got home from being at work, oh my God, you know, there was hell to pay and she could be so short and almost and really really kind of like a bit nasty almost you know like that sort of like not having any control over her of the of her being very snippy and and I'm sure now that that was what she had and maybe even if you look back and see what your mum was like or people that you know who went through menopause but there was no talk of it got quite a few friends who are perimenopausal or going through the menopause at the moment you know sort of aged about 50 and it's very interesting because my friend Sophie, for example, the way she describes her her menopausal sim- symptoms are exactly the way I describe what I've had with PMDD every month of my life since I was 13. So this kind of spiral, you know, out of nowhere, I would have got, I would get like a spiraling wave of self-doubt, doom. It would sort of hit me in the belly and I'd sort of get this feeling that I was just spiraling into a, a, an abyss and nothing would have changed externally. You know, it wasn't like, you know, anything on paper had changed, but my hormones would just knock me sideways. And I didn't know it was hormones at the time. I just thought it was me being a defunct human. Does that make sense? Yes. And consequently, you know, this compounded sense of self-doubt month after month after month till you get to this point in your adult female life where you're like, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that... PMDD. What perimenopause brings up is it brings all that to a bit of a head, mm. it, and it's almost it becomes something that actually you have to deal with. Anything that you've been that's been sitting there, that's been un, like undealt emotions or stuff that you're pushing down, it starts to surface and bubble. And I remember that as well when I was in my marriage and I wasn't happy every single month. You know, I would want to end my marriage. And mm. I would, oh my goodness! Well, you don't. You know my situation that we actually finally did agreed to consciously uncouple last summer. Yeah. But absolutely, you know, for the last eight years, I would say pretty much every every month it's come to that point. And my my poor husband, I mean, bless his cotton socks, he is not perfect, but neither am I. And he's on all these groups for husbands of women that have PMDD. And he he's really empathetic, but it puts a strain on your relationship to the point where after a while you kind of think maybe we've just caused each other enough pain and it's better to just you know leave while we're on top do you know what I mean yeah and I think that's a very you know that's a lovely way that you've done it because I was I think last year when you were talking about I was talking about leaving my husband as well and I'd read the book Conscious Uncoupling Mm. but actually we've kind of done that but we're not friends my husband and I now really we're not we don't there's no sort of friendship and that's really sad so I think if you can 
if you, I know you've got children between you, but we, we don't have any children between us, apart from, you know, stepchildren. But it's it's very sad that is when you can be with somebody for, you know, you love somebody and are sleeping in the same bed as somebody for many years. And then actually it's just over. And it's I find that really hard. It's really hard. It's very, 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 very hard. You know, but I've seen it from the other side where my parents, it's not, it's sort of common knowledge this, but my parents were not happily married. And as a child, I witnessed people not being happy, but staying together. And I don't think, I actually don't want my children to see that. I would rather they saw their parents being happy and living separate lives, but when they did come together, being respectful and kind. Yeah. You know, because I just think it gets worse and worse and worse if you stay together because you're afraid to leave each other because you're familiar and do, do, am I making sense? Oh, totally. I, I mean, that's being more comfortable. People get so comfortable being in that uncomfortable environment because they're too scared of, of pushing themselves forward to what might make them very happy. They'd rather stay in that kind of unhappiness. And that is actually that can become very toxic. It can become toxic. And I just, for me, that is the saddest thing because you said about people coming to menopause and everything coming to a head. And I do think that menopause is this kind of, it's a sort of fork in the road for a lot of women. And you can either deal with your shit, excuse my French, Hmm. and get to the bottom of it and kind of like go, right, okay, so what, what have I been burying? What is it that all this hormonal ruckus is is un, is revealing for me and I'm going to get to the bottom of it and sort it out and try and be a better person from having got to the bottom of it or you can bury it even deeper and go into resentment and blame on other people and and then actually what happens is you almost become entrenched so entrenched in your you know bitterness bitterness <laughs> that that can stay with you and that's when you don't change it's like and I've seen this with my own eyes, with, with some adult females in my own life. And it's really sad because what happens is I think you then end up either giving yourself an early death or, or living a half life, living, having like a living death of misery and resentment. And it's a tragedy. It's complete tragedy. And we only have one life. And that's what I'm so passionate about is that mm. you've got to, you know, this is, we are here to grow i think the one reason that we're here on this planet is to grow and to become the best human being we can be that to me from my point of view that is something that is that takes a lifetime you you never stop growing you never stop learning you never stop i never stop trying to better myself and i think that is the if if everybody kind of did that and dealt like you said dealt with their shit <laughs> you know, feel the pain, feel the pain and it's okay to feel the pain and go through it and then learn from it and then become, you know, go out into the world. Because if everybody started being a little bit, you know, if if there's a a knock on effect of everybody growing and being, becoming a better human being and dealing with their shit, there's a much more systemic thing that that goes out into the, into the big wide world, you know. You know, it's funny, I only really got to terms with what the word systemic meant the other day. And I think it's a really powerful word, but it's, but it, it just to clarify for anyone who, like me, didn't know what it meant um, until recently, it means that kind of where things shift from a sort of through all of the systems. So all of the systems change because one thing is changing. Is that right? 
Yeah, and it, well, it can be it can be systemic within our own bodies, I suppose, and it can be systemic on you know what's the knock on effect to everybody for every move, every yeah. choice that we make has a knock on effect for the next person who feels it for in an organization that could be like the knock-on effect all the way up through the ranks and in the world it can be just all the way through humanity you know mm. the whole every choice that we make has a knock-on effect it, it affects the whole system mm. like the butterfly effect where they say that you know when a tree falls in the amazon jungle it can have an effect on a butterfly's wings on the other side of the world exactly so, mm. so this is why choices need to be um, considered and also done from a very sort of heart-centred place. I would say this kind of living in this space that, that you and I are trying on a daily basis to inhabit of kind of self-awareness and intentional decision-making as opposed to, re, you know, kind of unconscious reactionary decision-making, which is where, definitely where I used to be. You mm. know, I used to just kind of, you know, fire off, insults or emails defensively you know because something made me feel uncomfortable and I was just inadvertently you know maybe adding fuel to the fire that didn't need to be fired you know it's just and now I'm really because I'm more aware of this stuff I do really consciously I think a lot more carefully about stuff before I take action and it definitely makes my life easier and I think it makes the people around me happier and kinder to me in return it's kind of that whole karma thing it's it's like what you what you what you think about you bring about or what you you know what goes around comes around yeah what you're putting out there because a lot of stuff is um projection as well people project a lot of how they're feeling onto other people and you said earlier you know the kind of blame and we we quite often all or we feel things, we see things in other people that's actually deep rooted in ourselves that we're just not dealing with. And then we don't like it in that other person, you know, we become disgusted mm. by it, but actually it's something that's inside of us that we need to deal with. Wow. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. It isn't. Well, you know, like when somebody, what's coming to mind, is, you know, when somebody's very, very anti-gay people or very kind of homophobic. Yeah. You know, well, well, why? Why are you so homophobic? Maybe they feel attracted to somebody. The other yeah. They just cannot totally deal with it. So they become hideously, you know, homophobic. That's yeah. that's one kind of thing I'm thinking of. When something irritates us or gets our goat in somebody else, it's nothing to do with them. It's to do with something that's inside us. And they're, it's just triggering mm. something in us, you know. Mm, that's yeah that's very interesting yeah and I think if you can sometimes notice that in yourself rather than you know reacting like you said where the ego rises up and you and you react because you come you know become offended or you you know oh that's hurt my feelings and all that sort of stuff it's about acknowledging it and and doing the reflection yourself before you react and wonder why you're feeling like that Mm. so kind of going like you have made me feel really strongly whether it's negatively or positively why is that the case what is it that you've done that's triggered this strong emotion inside of me and I need to sort of unpick that and unravel it to get to the bottom of it so that I can work out whether it's you or me or you know sometimes I think if you've got the capacity to reflect like that you can go actually no their behavior is completely unreasonable and I am absolutely valid in my opinion of being totally pissed off and other times you can kind of go, actually, no, I do see my part in it now. And I can see how my behavior impacted that and maybe made that situation worse and take responsibility for it. And that that in itself can ease the situation and potentially create sort of a much deeper 
a meaningful connection. Oh yeah, for sure. Being able to kind of like own when you when you've done something wrong or be able to apologize because a lot of people find it very difficult to apologize for something. Mm. And actually the whole thing about you know like when people say oh god you've really hurt my feelings or somebody might say that and and mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know that's kind of like well have I is is it you're hurting yeah but I haven't hurt your feelings something I've said you know it's just it's weird it's very interesting I tell you a great book to read it's very deep but you might like it um I don't know whether you've already read it it's, it's by Eckhart Tolle and it's um a brave new world is it new, new earth um, oh, no, I haven't read that one. No, I've seen, I've read The Power of Now. That's it, it, as well, isn't it? One, it's very much about, it's all about kind of ego and the pain body that we all have, you know, from events that have happened to us in the past, etc. Yeah. It's fascinating. I think you might enjoy it. Okay. I will put that in the notes as well for anyone who wants to read into it. I remember once you said that you were from Yorkshire. Is that right? Or am I totally imagining that? I'm from Worcestershire. I lived in Yorkshire for almost two years in Grasshopper. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's what that was it. There was a Yorkshire connection. I knew there was some kind of Yorkshire connection because I lived up there as well for a for a long time and I loved it. I loved it too. It's very magical yeah. in York. It's, it's one place that's still very, you know, close to my heart. It's one of I've my heart. I've got it in my head that I might go back and retire there and join the WI. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? I, I do love all that. The only thing <laughs> is the weather is a bit rubbish, but I know, but I think it's better than it is in most parts of the UK. I don't know. I just seem to remember when my memories of North Yorkshire, the sun was always shining. But I think it maybe just have got looking at it through rose tinted glasses, perhaps. Yeah, because it's it is quite grey up there a lot of the time, but it's just still so magical and beautiful. Yeah, I think I had such a lovely time living there that when I look back on it, the sun was always shining. <laughs> Where were you in North Yorkshire? Um, we were not far from Castle Howard, which is such a beautiful house. Have you ever been to Castle Howard? No. It's where they filmed Brideshead Revisited. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so like a proper kind of beautiful Regency stately home with, you know, manicured lawns. And it's, yeah, so we lived, we didn't live at Castle Howard, by the way. (laughs) We lived in a a house in the Howardian Hills, which is sort of about three miles drive away from it. But uh, it was just lovely. It's a lovely part of the world. And I personally think it, you know, one of the best bits of England, as it were. So, yeah, maybe one day if I head back to England after years of wandering, that's where I'll put down my roots and find myself a little cottage with roses around the front door. But for now, I'm based in France, as are you. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what's brought you to France. So you've had this change around midlife. You, done, you do the coaching. And so why France? Why now? When I was, I've always wanted to live in France. I don't really know why. My husband and I were planning to do it together. So even up until last year, we were coming over doing recce's and it was almost like we were almost, you know, this was our dream to live here. But I, I realise now looking back that I was really the one that was pushing for that. I don't know whether, I mean, Dan would have come because he, because he loved me, but whether he was fully, he wasn't as fully on board as I was. Last year when we, we did come on a recce over here and I remember getting back and, and I'd looked at thousands and thousands of houses over four, sort of three or four years that we'd been looking. And we got back from this recce and feeling a little bit deflated because we hadn't found something. And I just remember sitting in the office in the architecture practice, like looking through houses, thinking something just came to me. It was this, even if we go to France, it's not going to mend our relationship. You know, it was almost like we were always forward thinking rather than living in the now because we weren't fully happy. And so I just, that was it. I just thought, I can't do this anymore, you know. 
so I spoke to Dan that night and we decided that that was, you know, that was going to be it and we were going to separate. And then within sort of eight weeks, I'd started looking around in England to find somewhere to rent. I even thought about buying a little house because I was going to get a little bit of money. I could just about afford to buy a little house because we didn't own a property together or anything. Mm. And that was the only place I could find somewhere was in Bridlington. And I went up a few times, looked at houses and I just thought, oh, I just don't think I can do this. So then I just thought, well, why don't I go to France? So tell me again how you got to be, well, for living in the Dordogne, but also investing in a van so that you can go and explore France and run your business from your van, because that just sounds amazing. I've been living in France for the last six months or so now, and I'm still not convinced of where I want to be. And I've got this, I'm a very exploratory person. I want to go exploring more. I'm very curious. The only kind of house that I can actually afford at the moment is something that's going to take shed loads of work. And I'm on my own and I just I'm not ready for that yet. I I feel as as though it's just a step too far and it means that I'm going to be stuck in one place again. And funnily enough, I've always thought that I needed or wanted a house because I've never actually owned my own house, Lucy. So one day I'm going to be so ready to own my own house and choose my kitchen and all that sort of stuff. But I want something really simple. I want like a really nice wooden house. So basically I thought I'm going to what's the next best thing that I can do. So I've always wanted to have a motorhome, a camper van. And so I just, I've done it. I've, I've bought it. You don't lose that much money on them anyway. So I've bought a motorhome. I've got a Hymer, which is what I've always wanted. And I'm kitting it out at the moment, making sure it's safe. And then I'm going to go and explore France. I'm just going to, you know. I think that's so exciting. You, that's <laughs> going to, but you're going to have to do like loads of um, videos on it. I mean, there are people that, there is this really is a culture this whole van life thing isn't it it's van life culture you can use the hashtag van life oh i've already started i've got my new i've got a new channel it's called marvelous van life because oh my that's brilliant Laura. <laughs> Because I've got my marvellous midlife, you know, my Instagram, which has got lots of followers, but I've now got my marvellous van life. So at the moment, I'm just prepping. And then I'm going to go off to a campsite in a few days just to try it out, see what it's like, get, you know, make sure everything's working properly, get a feel for it. And then I'm going to head off. But it's quite scary because it is massive, Lucy. It's just, it's hugest thing. And you know what some of the roads are like in France. Yeah. I I think you're really brave. I mean, I struggle with driving a Mitsubishi Outlander. Um, (laughs) I think you're really brave. Can I just say, though, this is so exciting because what you're doing is you're basically showing other women that they can do it too if they want to. It's really important work. You know, before we we started recording, I said, you know, I think it's going to be different for for our daughters and sons and because, but this whole sort of, like throwing off the shackles of expectation of what the patriarchy and the the matriarchy, also the expectations that came with that. I was watching Bridgerton yesterday and all that whole, have you seen Bridgerton? No. And this whole sort of women had to get married and if they weren't married in their first season, they were basically redundant and then they had to oh be married. God. You know, it's just like, I mean, I'm, oh, it's I'm just, so, I'm so into at the moment, one of the things that I'm totally exploring at the moment is, is feminine energy and feminine power and against masculine energy. We live in such a masculine world. And even since I've been, it sounds like I've been like having this idyllic time here in France, but even for the, for the last six months, I've been really kind of like working hard, striving to grow my coaching business and, you know, putting in a lot of hours sitting behind my laptop, building up some new projects and things like that, because I, I want to, you know, I'm on my own now. 
now and and, and it's quite scary you know i've got to i've got to make a living the practicality side is there but i've lost in amongst that i've sort of lost that's very male energy you know striving working hard and i'm very much into at the moment trying to explore my feminine side my energy which is like intuition and feeling and being and softening and surrendering and all that and I've always put on a bit of a brave face with that because I've always been very fiercely independent and from a lot of childhood trauma that I had and stuff I've put like a barrier up and I'm and I'm very keen to at 52 this year to explore softening into my own femininity and my sexuality again which again is showing other women that it's okay to do that and giving them permission to do the same work, which I do think was not there for women even 10, 15 years ago. You know, this is new ground that's being broken. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. Women are so, women, we're, we're so, there's such a just sort of demand on us to kind of be a certain way, to look a certain way. And we live in such an ageist society and actually, you know, I just want women to kind of feel like I like the way that you said break free, you know, from the shackles of what's expected of us all the time. And that's what I do help my clients with that. You know, they come to me feeling some of them come to me feeling like so lost and broken, you know, and just like really deflated with life. I just finished a 12 week program with with one of my clients and and she just didn't know what to do. She was like at a crossroads. She just felt really sort of like lost. I don't know what I'd want to do. I don't know what my purpose is. And at the end, she just said, I feel like I could take on the world. Now that is like, that's special for me. That is, that's to see somebody blossom into that. And it's, and, and I am only the kind of like facilitator. This is all her work. I just help her to get there. But that's amazing. You know, that's what, that's why I love my work. I just feel so grateful, Laura, that I live in an age where we're allowed to do that. Well, an age and also in a part of society, because there are still parts of society where women are not allowed to do this. Mm. There are parts of the world where women are still really, you know, the idea of kind of exploring their midlife sexuality and breaking free from the shackles of patriarchy is literally a total anathema because they have to wear, you know, they can't leave the house without their husbands and stuff. So it is a privilege that we have this option or this choice but it's just it's also just blinking exciting I think I mean I I feel more alive now in my mid-40s and more sort of I really feel like I'm so excited about the future I feel and that's so wonderful to feel like that isn't it you know we could we all live much longer um, than we ever used to we'll be in menopause the menopause transition for you know, a long time in our lives, much longer than our, you know, our grandmothers and our great grandmothers. And so actually, this is a time to, to really think about what you want to be doing with the next phase of your life. It's not a time for slowing down. It's a time for, you know, taking opportunities and thinking about, because I think when you get to this age, if you are excited, like we are, and you are more comfortable in your body and all that, which I feel that I am, and, and, you know, you don't care about what people think so much. That's There's a big freedom in that to be able to then think, what do I want to do? I think that's so true. And because so often when you're younger, when I think back even to a decade ago, you know, the decisions that I made or that I made with my husband were very sort of, well, what would this person think or what would that person think? And we ought to do that because that's what's expected of us at this time of life. And, you know, not necessarily things that we actually really wanted to do and that would have served us 
well in the long term you know it's it's all the shoulds you know yeah. about this is we have so many shoulds i should be doing that i should be doing that. but who says you should be doing it you know who says you should it's like we put so many shoulds on ourselves because we think that we should fit in it's the fitting into the mold of the societies that we live in and and i'm very keen to kind of like i think we've got to fit in with what feels comfortable to us if that feels right to you then do it but it doesn't feel right to lots of people and so they're unhappy but they don't feel strong enough to break free from it and that's where you come in that's where I come in. I can help them. I can help them find their feet to just, and they're, you know, they just find their courage a bit. And that's actually what was really interesting that came to me last year when I was living with my husband and I was still coaching and I was doing this work, but I was talking the talk, but I wasn't walking the walk. I And, and that didn't sit well with me. Mm. I was teaching women and, and helping them to find their courage. But yet there I was still in a marriage that wasn't making me happy and fulfilled. And I was not living aligned with my values. And so I had to, I thought to be, I've got to be the, the best person and doing this work myself before I can help other people fully to do this, if I'm going to do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. And I know that that's the same for other kind of, I know a lot of people in the coaching world because that's, I, you know, I work with coaches and trainers and consultants mm. to help them grow their digital businesses. And, and, you know, one common thing is that when, as a coach, you are helping others and you don't feel aligned with your values and you're not walking your walk, you're just talking it, it's really painful for that coach. And it's actually part of their journey into that sort of transformational breaking free so that they can really serve and like it's that tipping point for them which turns them into the leaders yes that that are able to just do what they need to do like really find their unique genius basically and I'd say that's where you are you know that I mean it's it's always sad when it comes to the end of a relationship and I'm not saying everyone should go out and break up with their husbands I don't recommend that for everybody I think you need to think very hard about whether it's a relationship that can be you know because sometimes things just maybe need a bit of therapy or yeah both needs to to grow together but but in that sort of space of doing feeling the fear and doing it anyway you grow so much and you're able to really help others and lead and serve others I know and it's just an amazing it's an amazing place to be and I'm at that point now where I know that I've got to and I want to put like almost coming full circle to when we first started the conversation I want to I want to pull back a bit again I want to do this work on myself I need to be with myself again and have some time to just reflect and to grow as a person again so I can get myself resourced again to then go you know take on some new coaching clients in September maybe because I just feel as though there's, I have to do the work myself. I, I all I have to regenerate, and and I need a rest. Actually, I need a break. It's hard work. This self improvement and self growth. It's hard work. It takes it out of you. And I do think what I think is quite interesting is that, you know, the whole last eighteen months of COVID, you know, actually, a, a jolly sight more people are being forced to be reflective and go inside than perhaps they would have been had we just carried on as we were pre-COVID with rushing around like headless chickens, you know, this having to sit still and be quiet in, in your own home and in your own space has forced people to look inside and do some work. Do you not think? Not everyone, but some. 
It has, because quite often I was talking with my friend about this this morning, is that we're so we're so busy in life doing stuff, busy doing rather than being. And most people are busy doing because they don't want to deal with being. They don't want to deal with sitting and being quiet and the quietness of like meditation or, or getting to know themselves. And you're right, I think um, COVID has been a massive wake-up call. And I've always actually thought, even when COVID first started, I just thought it's it's actually what the world needs. We needed a stop. We needed something to stop us from just going and going and going and just time to reflect. And it's almost like it was, you know, it's just the universe doing its thing. Mm, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. I am inclined to agree. I mean, it's, it's obviously had huge negative repercussions as well. But if you think about it in the context of eternal time, space, the bigger picture, the systemic picture. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I just so the other thing I want to say is I will never forget, and I I, st- I still think you're one of the bravest people I know that you did that post in your underwear. <laughs> I was like, she is seriously brave. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, I just think that's another thing you see. I, I'm fifty. Oh, but you did. You looked amazing in your underwear, by the way. Oh, thank you. I'm just well this is it you know we need to be proud of us we it's okay like Honor did one didn't she the other day and it's yes. just like it's just brilliant and you've been posting stuff about your um you know your exercise and stuff why not be empowered like I'm 52 in a few, in it, about two weeks time and I think I'm going to take another picture of my underwear on my 52nd birthday because you know this is this is 52 and it doesn't have to be I'm proud of my body now I'm feeling mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm feeling much better about it. But there is, it does still take courage for me to post things like that because there's that, I've, I've realised that there's that courage and that vulnerability of just showing up and being authentic. And that's where I am really with my Instagram feed and everything. I just try and be really authentic because I think if I can touch one person with something that I've gone through, then that's important mm. to me. I'm so with you. You know, I, I find social media, sometimes I find it quite overwhelming. And, you know, I, I really don't like it when I post because I feel I ought to post. Does, you, do you, know, do you know that feeling? It's like, oh, I haven't posted for a few days, so I must come up with something. And it just feels really sticky and icky to me. Whenever I post and it's because I've got something to say, inevitably, you know, somebody somewhere sends me a little comment or, a you know, a private message. And, and it's, had some kind of ripple effect of positivity and you're very you're very authentic on there as well you know with, with some of yeah. your and I just think it because some people don't they need to feel that they're not the only people who feel that and also just the fact that you're being brave about it, it gives somebody else some sort of strength I think yeah it's so true okay so we've been chatting for ages what I would love you to share so firstly could you please share with everyone where they can find you and how, if they wanted to work with you, probably in September or onwards, how they might be able to do that? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So my, I'm Marvellous Midlife on most social media. You can find me on Instagram and on Facebook. I've also got a Facebook private group called Perimenopause Hive, which is like the beehive. And that's a nice safe space for women to come. And from the interest that I've had in that, I'm just at the moment setting up a membership that I'm launching, which will be launched within about a month. And it's called Perimenopause Hive. And it's going to be a safe place, a directory 
where women can come and find out all the information that they need to about perimenopause from people who know all about it. So specialist doctors, nutritionists, Pilates teachers, hypnotherapists, all are going to be under one under the perimenopause hive directory and that's going to be an affordable membership that everybody can access because when I was doing all my research it's the stuff all over the place it takes ages and I wanted people to be able to find it all in one place so that's really exciting I think that's such a great idea I think there's going to be so much demand for that I'm really excited for you for that yeah well I I hope so I hope it helps lots and lots of women Um, and so uh, my website is called Marvellous Midlife dot co dot uk and you can find out about my coaching on there or just get on a discovery call with me at some point excellent thanks so to wind up could you please share your three top gems of wisdom <laughs> oh, for all those women out there be they in perimenopause or not okay okay my top oh you see see i wasn't prepped for this so this is coming right. straight from, from, from my just off the top of your head because you're very wise anyway i'm sure you'll come up with something really good I, I one of the most important things I think is to listen to your body, tune into what your body's telling you. Our bodies have all the answers, and if there's something niggling or doesn't feel right or it feels right, you'll feel it in your body. Tune into your body. My other top tip would be take up meditation. Meditation has saved me in the last year. It's a wow. wonderful, safe place to just come back to the present moment. And again, that takes me to my next thing is just. Um, try and be happy with anything that's present in the moment rather than overthinking the future. Mm. Future will work itself out. Concentrate on the now. Oh, I love that. The power of now, Eckhart Tolle. There you go. <laughs> the power of now, Laura Schuckelberg. It is Schuckelberg, isn't it? <laughs> Schuckelberg. Sorry. Schuckelberg. Sorry. Uh, but I've always had people, I remember once I went on a modelling trip years ago and on my passport, on the ticket, they put Laura Fuckborough. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> and then there was another girl, another model on it, and her name was Lisa Cock. That's hilarious. Do you know what? Just before we go, I had um, my uncle is that surname Cod with two Ds, but he was a British Airways pilot. And so he was called Captain Cod. And he had a co pilot called Captain Haddock. <laughs> Not joking. That is actually true. <laughs> That's wonderful, though. That's so funny. I love things. The like eight co-pilots, Captain Cod and Captain Haddock. Can you imagine everyone was just in the in the cab in the you know thinking, are they taking the mic? This can't be right. <laughs> At least you'd have listened up, wouldn't you? Rather than <laughs> Laura, it's so lovely to speak to you, and I want you to promise me that you come and visit me in Annecy in your van, and that we can oh, go. Yeah, we'd have such fun, wouldn't we? Thank you so much, Lucy. It's been oh, a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I can't, I can't wait for that hike and that van trip that I'm going to enjoy with you at some point. So <laughs> enjoy the rest of your day and make sure that we get some links to your website and to your hive, etc., into the footnotes of the podcast so that people can find you. And thank you so much. Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye, Lucy. Bye. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of my Live the Change podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful to you for emailing or texting a link to the show or for sharing it on social media with those you know who might like it too. My mission is to share heart-led business experience, strength and hope with as many people as possible. I'm proud to be building a sharing, caring and service-focused business movement that I'm so glad you're here to be part of. 
If you haven't done so already, help me build by following me on social at Lucy Hutchings Hunt or by getting on my list at lucyhutchingshunt.com. And remember, we rise by lifting and being of service to others and by finding our own unique and personally fulfilling ways to live the change. Till next time. <laughs>